Uh, Father, we come here to hallow your name. Uh, we just come forth in faith and uh, pray that your word would go forth, your word would defeat uh, its enemies as you has, have designed it. We also pray in faith, Lord, and thank you for the uh, authority of the church, the wisdom and care you've given to our shepherds. And we pray for your grace that in uh, just shut, shutting down service for one week would stop any outbreak of COVID or other sickness among us. We pray for your grace and that you would strengthen us and uh, return us to worship you in person together. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be, um, I'm not exactly sure how it works online. Uh, I've never actually done the outlines or anything online, but I think it's in the comment section. I'm not tech savvy. I know I'm not, I'm in that generation that should be, but I am not. And so I think if you click on in the comment section, we've uploaded the outline and you can follow that along there. Hopefully that will actually help you and it will be less confusing than more confusing. But today we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, history of Halloween, holy days, and the Christian mandate to take dominion. So obviously yesterday, October 31st, is what we celebrate um, Halloween or the longer version, All Hallows' Eve. Also, Reformation Day falls on October 31st. Today is in some church circles would be called a holy day of obligation called um, All Saints Day. And so I want to do a little bit of a history lesson real quick on why we celebrate that as Christians or three ways Christians view that uh, throughout history. Um, and then what I think is the biblical position, we'll look at one of those three and some scriptures to encourage us. Uh, and just so you know, this was originally a three-hour Bible lesson, <laughs> so we're condensing it down to uh, 40 minutes or so. So we'll try to fly through the history stuff and get to the uh, some other stuff. So before we do that, before we actually get to the history, um, there are generally three takes on, on Halloween. Um, two of the three most Christians take today, at least as far as, as what I see. One is capitulation to the culture. That is that um, uh, it's, it's a Halloween that's, you know, if we look at Halloween um, in, in the modern century in the West today, it's very much controlled uh, not by Christian thought or influence. And so a lot of Christians just capitu capitulate to the culture, just do whatever the culture does, and it's okay, it's not a big deal, um, and we carry on. Uh, the other option is non-participation, and that could be geared out of fear because, oh, this is the world's holiday now, or if you knew about the history of it, you might just say Halloween is the world's holiday. Um, one thing I've always enjoyed doing in, in this age of information, uh, especially early on in like theological circles, uh, I would just Google something and not really trust whatever source I found to be accurate or true, not knowing whether that would be true, but I would search like, um, like when Catherine mentioned today, like Calvinism and Arminianism have been at odds, I would Google things like uh, the Christian defense of Calvinism, and I would Google the Christian defense of Arminianism, and I would look at that from a couple different perspectives, and then with my own understanding of scripture and wisdom from other people, 
I would then say, okay, which one of these actually conforms to God's thought and character and mind through the scriptures? And which one um, uh, has been broadly uh, adhered to in the church throughout the, the uh, throughout church history as well. And so um, many people take today, and I, I grew up in a Christian circle where it was mostly uh, the devil owns Halloween, that's a satanic holiday. And even if you search um, things like why Christians should not celebrate Halloween, uh, most of the websites would say something like uh, that is the satanic or the Wicca like high holiday. And it really, it really is. They really do celebrate more on these days. And um, that's, there's really wicked things going on, but there's really wicked things going on every day as well. But so sometimes it's out of fear. Um, sometimes uh, Christians, especially in like light, I would say like veggie tales, evangelical circles is how I label it, is, well, we're just not going to celebrate it. We're not saying we're afraid of it and we're not proclaiming that it's Satan's day or something, but it's just not Christian, so we're not going to partake, and we're just going to abstain. And that's another reason why people won't participate, and, and for other reasons. And then the lastly, the third take, which is um, sadly becoming less popular, and I hope to convince you today that it is the biblical stance, is the dominion-taking posture is that um, we are called to take dominion of the birds of the air, the birds of the land, the fish of the sea, and everything in between, be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the whole earth. And not just in creatures and animals and, and creepers and creeps and people, but in thought, in days, in, uh, in every way possible, in, in absolutely every way possible to take dominion. So I'll open up with Psalm 24.1, which is a good one to keep on mind and memorize. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the whole world and those who dwell in it. Who possesses the earth? The Lord who created it. Uh, even the people who dwell therein, he possesses every single one, every thought, every thing. The only people who have a right to worship um, or, or who can possibly worship rightly are those who are worshiping the real creator. And so when we look at, you know, whether you're going to, whether Christians capitulate to the culture or they don't participate, we already start to take a non-biblical idea that hasn't been, uh, hasn't even been popular throughout history. And uh, we'll move on to the history lesson here in a minute uh, to kind of show that. And um, so, you know, I don't know how many people are actually watching or, or listening. The, uh, it's always hard in doing things video stream because you don't know, uh, you know, what's actually going on out in the real world, but uh, or who's there, or you know, when we did when we did this at Rice State, it was more conversive, and we can say we would raise hands all the times, like how many people celebrate Halloween and how many, you know, whatever. And so um, we're just going to do a little bit of a uh, some etymology in holiday and Halloween. So holiday means holy day. That's, uh, man, I wish Deanna was here because she's our English major of when you squeeze two words together and make one word, that's like a compound word or something. Is that right? Okay. 
So holiday, holy day, a holy day, not meaning this one is um, uh, not that God necessarily designed this day to be exactly uh, uh, anything but separate. So holy just means separate. That's probably the easiest way to explain it. Holy means separate. It's a separate day that we set apart for a special purpose. Halloween is another compound word of All Hallows' Eve. Hallowed, you know, meaning the saints, the holy ones, which is November 1st, All Saints' Day. This is the eve of All Saints' Day, right? So right from the bat, Halloween has always been Christian. It's never been anything but Christian. Christians started it. Whether you... We'll get into what you think about the Druids and the Celtic festivals or whatever. It doesn't matter in the end because, number one, they're not here. <laughs> they didn't win. And number two, uh, we, it's the Christians started Halloween. And so Christians have always had a, a mandates from God to have days that are separate. You'll see if you're on our outline, Deuteronomy, 20, or Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, uh, observe the, we won't read the whole thing just for time's sake, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servants and your female servants may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Okay, so we know that's a commandment of the Lord to set the Sabbath day, this weekly Sabbath, as a special day separate from the rest, where we're not going to do any routine labor. And this is the Deuteronomy passage, um, the second giving of the, um, the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. Um, or the Decalogue is the other term that we use. And the, the one in Exodus says the same reason you shall not do any work because it's a Sabbath day to the Lord, but the explanation is that the Lord created and he himself worked for six days and rested on one. So we are to imitate him. So these are weekly, regular Sabbaths, holy days or holidays to rest uh, number one for routine work, rest from our works uh, and find rest in the Lord and celebrate him. And it's a proclamation that we were once slaves in Egypt and we are no longer. And so that doesn't just carry in the one day a week. There are, if you're new to reading through the Old Testament or, or even, um, I can't remember what gospel it is, but it's in, I always like to read the notations in my ESV Bible that I stole from a church pew one day is, uh, I think it's in Luke. It's one of the notations at the bottom. And it says like on the first, uh, on the second first Sabbath. And so I remember reading that and thinking like second first Sabbath, like I had always in my mind thought that just like the weekly Sabbath, but no, all the festivals were Sabbaths. If you uh, see in the island, Exodus 23 uh, and Leviticus 23, both talk about routine feasts and Sabbaths to the Lord, which were the Passover feast was a, a week-long Sabbath to the Lord. And so it wasn't just that once a week, you know, uh, in Jewish culture, in the Old Covenant Saturday or the Lord's Day Sunday, but it was 
special feast, right? We all like those passages in Leviticus where it tells us to sell all our stuff, go and buy whatever we want to party at. Uh, I can't remember what feast that is. I think it's in Leviticus. I think it's the, might be the Passover. Um, but it's a Sabbath feast, right? So even God had intended that there were festivals, feasts, holidays to be celebrated. And so um, that's, that's really important to think of as Christians because we, in the West, when we start seeing in some areas where the church has given way to the world, we start falling backwards and say, okay, that's the world. We're, you know, we're not necessarily drawing back to regroup our army and get ready and go back out and fight. We're defeated and stepping away because the world's won. Satan's winning, uh, but not here in my house. So we're going to huddle in here and, and shelter. And so, um, and then so we, we keep cowering back and back and back and get this mindset of defeat. And when the Lord's pan, plan had used these holidays and these special feasts to pro, mostly proclaim his victory over certain things. And so we see that in four weeks, we're going to, uh, this is the pyramid. If you guys didn't know the name, I always like asking the kids when I go down there, like, do you remember what the tablecloth is called and that thing in front of the pew? And they get like an extra snack or a quarter if they get the right uh, if they know what it's called. And so these are called pyramids and these are designed around the church calendar. And it's a form of uh, liturgy to show what season we're in. So um, the kids still have a felt calendar in the pre-readers class where there's a green space and it looks like a clock and a dial and it has an arm and it points to what day on the calendar we're on. And it's getting closer and closer to the purple, which is Advent, which is the Christian New Year. For Christians, the new year doesn't start on January 1st. It starts on the week after, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, whatever Sunday that is this year. It's four weeks from today. And so uh, Advent, Christmastide, Epiphany, Lent, Eastertide, Pentecost, uh, we celebrate, and those are, those are time periods of, um, those are longer time periods that we celebrate in the church calendar. Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, that one's been taken over by the world pretty heavily in, uh, in a lot of circles. Uh, but Fat Tuesday is the day before Lent starts, where you would, if you're going to fast, you want to eat a lot beforehand. Uh, Halloween is another one. Uh, Christmas is a single holiday set apart. Easter and St. Patrick's Day, those are all um, church uh, days that we've set apart as holy and which in a lot of ways have been perverted from its original purpose in the world. But need not be scared, that's what the world does. And so, um, really, the one of the main points of the Lord bringing on Sabbaths and setting apart holy days, Sabbaths, rest periods, periods of celebration, is we forget very easily about things. We um, are people who lose sight of God's promises very easily. Um, scripture doesn't give us an indication of how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before they were like, yeah, let's think about a new way. And did God really say that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, we don't know. That could have been years. It could have been months. It could have been days. I don't uh, know the answer to that. And I'm not sure what most theologians would speculate either. But we do know that uh, they lost sight of the promises of God and um, 
And when we lose sight of how God ordains grace or means grace or delivers grace into the world, we talk about through the word, the spirit, and the church. And so on that um, level of the church is, is that we celebrate Sabbath days together. We celebrate holidays together. And so you're hurting yourself when you divert from God's plan and his means of grace. When one of the reasons we as a church try to um, integrate things like liturgy, um, the paraments, the things like this, and not do it in such a high church way, which would make, you know, maybe people coming from a culture or a church culture not like that feel more welcome is doing high church in a low church way and making it palpable for people to to take in is because um, we see things as simple as like the pyramids that we see every week. It's green. It's a time of growth. We see the seasons change, right? We see even the earth goes through a cycle of, of, a, of a dying. The leaves fall off. All the branches, the trees look like they're dead and they resurrect or spring back to life, right? And so we as a church, if we don't remind ourselves of the truths in God's scripture, we would easily fall into deception and away from the Lord. If, uh, I know there are certain things like, uh, I was just thinking of when we were singing, uh, it's very hard for me to sing that line in the song that we say, gracious savior uh, or savior of my ruined life. And I think all the times on like when we're singing, we should be paying attention to the words. What are we singing? If you say, here I raise my Ebenezer, every time I'm thinking, oh man, what is an Ebenezer again? <laughs> I'm going to have to Google this because I'm singing something that I don't know. And even things as simple as, like if I didn't get here on Sunday mornings and help set up and do something, I would very easily fall into pride and not wanting to serve others. I don't do it because it's part of my job. I do it because I care more about uh, me in a way and that it's going to keep me from getting prideful or boastful or that people need to serve me. And so we have these regular patterns and when you don't observe them, uh, you are hurting yourself. And um, so I was going to mention that a little bit later um, in, in things like, but even like when we do our communion meditation, like I'll mention some things about just you could do to prepare and get ready if we ever have a time where we have to do online services again. But, um, but anyways, let's get into the kind of history of Halloween and move forward from that. Okay, so the history of Halloween is a little facetious. Uh, when we start most of the world, uh, you would maybe like all these things, all these occults and Wiccans and have infiltrated and Halloween is just this uh, adaptation, this Christian adaptation of this Celtic Druid festival, which uh, is just not the case when you look at the facts. And so, um, Sowen, which if you phonetically pronounce it, it looks like Samhain, but it's pronounced Sowen, uh, was a Celtic festival to worship the Lord of the Dead on October 31st uh, with its new year, with their Celtic Druid New Year beginning November 1st. Now, before we get into this history, let's just say that the Druids, the Celts, uh, all their religious um, practices are dead. This is all speculation. What we know about them is because the Christians took over and took some notes, but weren't particular about recording 
what they did because uh, the Lord has come, he's taking over. So all of this is actually speculation. There are no source documents on, from the Druids or the ancient Celts on how they worshiped, who they worshiped, and what they did on what dates. So, <laughs> so how do you know? What's your epistemology? Well, we are trusting that there are some, um, as the Christians took over Ireland and, and drove out paganism, uh, that they did record some things. In, and yet we get some of the, the things that we are looking at here on how they uh, worshipped was like letters that Christians wrote to other Christians. And there are some source documents that tell about like other things that were going on in the culture, but they were never primarily writing about the Druids. And so um, that's a good place to start uh, because there were people who assert facts like that. And if you ask them, how do they know? I'll be like, well, I Googled it once. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, you have to really do your research when people are trying to um, say things like that. And you should do your research. So uh, I've got some extra notes as far as the, I'm going to read this paragraph. On May 13th, 1609 AD, uh, Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs. And the Catholic feast of All Martyrs Day was established in the Western Church. So think of that, about that time period, 609 AD. Uh, he dedicated the, the Pantheon in Rome and made it a church, which was uh, a, a Roman um, building to, to dedicate sacrifice to their gods, to the Roman gods. So uh, later, Pope Gregory IV expanded the festival to include all the saints as well as the martyrs and moved the observance from May 13th to November 1st in 835 AD. So sometimes you'll get a little, it'll sound a little confusing because you'll do some research and you'll find and ask who started Halloween. Um, well, uh, All Saints Day started in 609, but you'll get, sometimes they'll say Pope Gregory the fourth, and sometimes they'll say Pope Gregory the third. So which one is it? Well, it's um, that Pope Gregory the third uh, made it a day, but Pope Gregory the fourth, so Pope Gregory the third was in the mid 1700s, the mid 1800s was Pope Gregory the fourth, who made it a holy day of obligation in the church. So it was celebrated earlier, a hundred years earlier, in the mid 700s, but in the mid 1800s, um, it was made uh, a, a, an official church day of a, observance and moved it to. November 1st, as far as All All Saints Day. And so by the ninth century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands where it gradually blended with the supplanted and older Celtic rites. Uh, in 1000 AD, the church would make November 2nd All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. It is widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. So, um, all Saints Day, November 2nd, tomorrow, is a day in the Roman Catholic uh, traditions where they celebrate those who have not obtained heaven, but they're in purgatory. And so uh, that's All, All Souls Day. All Saints Day started uh, with Pope Boniface with um, celebrating and honoring those who have been martyred. And how early Christian thought was, anybody who was martyred would be, would have 
obtained to a saint. And so when we think of, in our Protestant way of thinking, when we think of like, if we were just to say All Saints Day, we would maybe instantly go to, I'm thinking of like all the Christians who have died. That's not how it was intended. Saints started with martyrs, and then those who were canonized into the church who were recorded as saints. Um, and then it eventually grew, as a lot of things do in Catholicism. Uh, after the Reformation, you know, the reformers weren't trying to abolish any particular uh, things on, uh, in this way, they were, you know, they weren't uh, abolitionists in that sense, they were reformers. And so even the reformers still celebrated All Saints Day and All Hallows Eve, but they did not pray for the dead uh, and things like that. So they were reforming. They weren't saying, I'm going to abolish this practice. That's the Catholics. That's whoever. And we're going to hide in our corner, right? They were constantly trying to reform the church. And so that actually grew so much that now in Catholic circles and that all saints say is honoring all the dead Christians who have attained to heaven. And so that's the influence of the Reformation on Catholicism as far as it goes to all saints day. And so um, you could make a case that uh, Pope Boniface the fourth established all saints day that May 13th, that initial one in 609 Um you can say that it was intended to co-op with the pagan Roman festival of the Feast of Lemurs, which was uh, a festival in pagan Roman culture that would you would exercise or expel the bad spirits or ghosts from their home. Um, again, there's not a lot of, of pagan Romans left uh, to explain how they celebrated that or why they did that, but there are a lot of Christian writers and it's even if I've tried to read a lot on different Christians explaining Halloween, All Saints Day, and different things, and a lot of them have the mindset of that. Uh, it's a little bit of the capitulation to the culture of we're just going to give a small Christian alternative to this, but that's not what the church was doing. That's not what the church had ever done when the early church had taken the promises in uh, Matthew 16 to Peter that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against you, not stand against it. They took that very seriously. It took, you know, Christianity went from 120 people to thousands of people to taking over the Roman Empire to driving out pagans to Christianizing. Their goal was to Christianize the whole world. And so everywhere they went, um, became, they had the dominion mandate, they had the great commission, they had Psalm 24, one, uh, most likely in their minds that everything belongs to the Lord and we're going to take this for his glory. This culture, these people, they, they don't have the right to honor the dead because they're not doing it rightly. They don't have, they can't do it rightly because they don't know the Lord. And so we're going to come into the culture, we're going to teach them, we're going to use the whole armor of God, we're going to use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we're going to teach them, we're going to have compassion on them, and we're going to teach them and sanctify them in truth, in God's word. And uh, by the grace of God, he would uh, hold fast to his promises, and um, as the uh, waters covers the sea, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth. There's a promise we can hold on to. Um, 
So to say that they just like co-opted and like, well, we're just going to give like the pagans can do this over here and they can celebrate to their gods and the dead and honor their dead. And we're just going to do that over here. And hopefully we don't like mingle and touch them or hopefully our parties, they could look the same. We can do the same things, but we're just going to celebrate a, a different. That's not how it worked. That's modern. That's today. That's not how Christianity, uh, how the Christians, how the church thought for uh, centuries and centuries and centuries. So, um, so looking at the the celebration of uh, the the Druids or the the Celtics, um, again, it's all speculation, but they would say that the Druid New Year was November first, believing that uh, Samhain, the Lord of the Dead, would take the spirits of the dead and assign them animal bodies. For the following year, the souls of the good were reincarnated as humans. Human sacrifices also took place to appease Samhain. It was believed that the souls of those who had previously died in the last 12 months were allowed to habitat their former dwellings to associate with families. Large bonfires were created to drive out witches and evil spirits. The practices of trick or treating originated where children, where children would go around begging for materials for the bonfires dressed as spirits or witches, and the homeowner, if the homeowner would not give a treat or a soul cake, which was their treat, I guess, they would retaliate with a mischievous trick. All speculation, but it sounds very familiar <laughs> to modern culture. Uh, and they would say that current Halloween traditions stem from Samhain. Uh, even some Christian circles and non-Christian circles would call um, would even the satanic cults would be this would be a it would be a special day of witchcraft uh, and worship of Satan, and so uh, I actually read some articles last night from Christian sources saying that like Halloween is the, is Satan's holiday, <laughs> and if we let our children dress up, that we're giving their souls to Satan and to have dominion of them, and uh, all of the and that's they would quote that because uh, Satan has said that. What makes the Satanist words true? <laughs> uh, good question. Uh, probably not much. Um, so there are a lot of occult practices, and there are really, we've allowed as the church, allowed a lot of witchcraft and a lot of occult practices to enter our culture. I'm not saying that those things aren't real. You do have to understand the schemes of the devil. And so um, even... Second uh, Corinthians two eleven says that uh, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, even though this is particularly talking about bitterness and unforgiveness, but so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs or his schemes. So something we should know as Christians are what are the schemes of the devil. We can't just quote these verses and say, yeah, we don't, we're not ignorant of his designs. Well, how does he work? Who is he? What does scripture say, right? Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So um, you can't really see a show of hands with people virtually, but, uh, and uh, there's not a whole lot of people with kids here besides <laughs> Catherine and I. Uh, but if I, if you were in person, I'd ask you to raise your hand and say, 
how many people have taught your kids about the whole armor of God and uh, used like in the house I just bought, the previous owners left a physical sword. And so I was teaching uh, Lily school one day and we were doing a side lesson. We usually do a side Bible lesson. And uh, I was teaching her how to defeat uh, thoughts of discouragement or hating learning and things like that and not when you push forward. And we defeat those by the word of God. And that's a sword that's like this big. It's like 20 pounds. Uh, and uh, I didn't let her hold it because child services would have a problem with that. Uh, but she did get to touch it. <laughs> and, um, and how do we defeat the schemes of the devil? We have to know and when we we teach, I think we get this thing in this light evangelical culture is that we teach our kids these Bible verses, but then we don't give them the swords. We don't teach them how to wield the sword. We don't like sit down with them. Like when you and your families or your households or your single brothers or whoever can actually sit down and wield the sword and sharpen each other and, and fight, that's how we can fight against the schemes of the devil. Um, that's how we fight. That's how we wrestle, right? And so um, when a lot of the Christians these days just stop at that where we look at like, oh, this used to be uh, a witchcraft thing or an ancient Celtic thing and kind of give up there. And I would encourage everybody that Revelation 1, 17 and 18 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man and he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and I have the keys of death and of Hades. So nobody else has the right to celebrate or think about death in a right way, right? Only those who worship the one who is resurrected, eternally living, is the first and the last, and who holds the keys of death. Those are the only ones. And so, you know, in America, just to go back, we're trying to jump in from theology to history to theology to history, and back to the history part of, there was an influx of Irish immigrants in the mid-19th century, and this increased the celebration of Halloween in America, especially as we see like trick-or-treating, um, costumes, things like that. And so those, uh, we missed a little part is the, not all of the church celebrated All Saints Day on, on November 1st or, or May 13th. The, those in Ireland celebrated it on April 20th, as I would presume an idea to say, we're not going to uh, take over and we're not going to celebrate alongside and it's, it's gonna be completely different which you can kind of start to get the idea that a lot of those Irish immigrants in Ireland kept some of those same practices because they didn't take over the culture completely, which may be the case. And so with that, the influx of Irish immigrants um, and, uh, and the influence of premillennial thought at the time, um, I think it gave way to our culture being more acceptable and open to the idea that this is slowly going to become a satanic holiday, unless that we're gonna take dominion of this for Christ's glory. And so they had forgotten, Romans 16, 20, the God of peace 
will soon crush Satan under your feet. And but that's not like for us today. That was like, that's in another thousand years or right before Jesus comes back. Uh, or after he comes back or something. I don't know how pre-mills think. But no, this was written in the first century. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a promise. There's no doubt about it. Paul doesn't say, well, I really hope, and maybe he will, and just keep holding on. He will crush Satan under your feet. And so that's the way we take back cultures. That's the way we take back um, our families. And this thought should go uh, deep into each one uh, of us individually. And so Halloween uh, is a celebration commemorating the saints uh, and the defeat of death and Satan through mockery and laughter. And so medieval Christians began celebrating by mocking Satan. Uh, They knew he's a fallen angel, but believed the best way to defeat him was to attack his pride, mocking him by making him look like a court jester. And so we've heard this from the pulpit before. If you you haven't, it started in... Uh, the medieval Christians began celebrating before All Saints Day on November 1st, All Hallows' Eve, the day before, with a celebration of, of mocking Satan, not deriding him like it says not to do in Jude. Is it Jude? Uh, but in a way of saying that he has no power over us. Christ has won. Uh, Jesus Christ has ascended. He was coronated to the throne and from forth comes his reign and is going out into all the earth to continually crush Satan's head through the church. That's a good thing to celebrate. That's a good party. Uh, and so they would dress up as these, these red devils that would, you know, the court jesters were those silly people who came in to help make the, uh, the king laugh. And we're supposed to be like, like comedians um, and entertainers for the kings, and they were always very silly, and they looked very silly. And so they made Satan look very silly because uh, uh, Scripture points to him falling because of his pride, and so what better way to get back at him than to attack his pride? And so the those Christians would have celebrations that Jesus defeated death. They'd be dressing up in costumes, and this wasn't a just a separate, we're going to do this, instead of what the pagans do, it is we are marching out like an army, defeating Satan, and wherever the king leads us, we will win. And so one thing we've gotten away from as a church is there should be terms that we know and understand. Now, these are assigned by different people in church history. This isn't, you're not, you can allude to different biblical concepts and things, but uh, there is what's called the church triumphant. Does anybody in the crowd know what the church triumphant is? Catherine's smiling. Okay, so it is the, the church who has died, those who have gained victory, who are with the Lord, who are in heaven with his presence. Uh, they are the triumphant ones. They have conquered in this life through God's grace and are now with him. And there's another term, uh, because we're Protestant, there's three terms, but we don't. Uh, we will not get into the term for those who are... Uh, in Catholicism, in purgatory. But we here on earth are the church militant. We are the army. We're not the, the, uh, we're not the church uh, veggie tales. Or, <laughs> you know, we're not like the some lower level form. We are 
a military army um, sanctioned by God to bring about his glory and his righteousness in all the earth. Uh, think about, and even though this isn't an army theme, if, you know, Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God, you know, is a, is a clear theme. Um, but think about Isaiah 2, how all the nations will stream to us because we have the word of God, the law of God, and the wisdom of God. And so that's how we're taking dominion. That should be our mindset in everything. And that, that really does, when we get a biblical mindset, that affects our daily life. Um, I think I've got enough time to do one side story. The benefits of when we were doing this at Right State of having two or three hours is because you could tell a lot of stories. And God loves to tell stories. That's why we have a lot of historic narratives in scripture. But I remember, you know, it's uh, Luke eleven twelve, and I'm sorry, Matthew eleven twelve, and Luke um, 16, 11, something like that. Um, where Christ talks about uh, the violent enter the kingdom by force. And I remember going through some pretty severe uh, depression. And I don't remember if anybody gave me counsel on this, particularly on how to walk through this. Obviously, there was counsel on depression and things early in my Christian life. And, um, but I just got the sense from the Lord, I think this was after being baptized in the Spirit, that like, depression is not just going to go away. It's not just going to, oh man, Steve's not feeling that sad today. Well, maybe we'll come back tomorrow. We'll see. I'm not feeling it. No, like depression was like in, wants to attack you and get you in any measure. And I remember having this thought from the Lord of, you know, through reading scripture that through um, Psalm 1611, that, uh, that there should be fullness of joy in the presence of God. And I'm not feeling fullness of joy. So the problem's probably not with the Lord. The problem's probably with me. And so I would get very angry with uh, depression. And I would be in my car feeling sulking, like, oh, my life sucks. And, you know, like letting these thoughts kind of control me. And I would, you know, by the grace of God, he allowed me to snap out of it. And I would begin like yelling and commanding, like depression will have no hold of me. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy and I have full access to the King and I am his cherished beloved son and depression can go to hell. And I would do that. And that took months before the Lord, you know, um, and, you know, I became militant is what the point is. And by the Lord's grace, we think about changing cultures and doing all these things um, on a grand scale, but it starts at home. It starts with you. You have to become militant. Whatever, uh, whatever ails you, so to speak, of, or whatever, whatever besetting sin, the Lord extends grace to you through his word, his spirit, and his church to able to defeat it. And there is full victory over all of it, and we can tap into it. And so, um, so that's why we're called the church militant, right? We will be, when we finally die, we'll be triumphant. The war is over for us. We'll be uh, out of the battle, <laughs> but we're not now. And so we have to regain that, that vision and that biblical mindset from God that we're going to win. And if you constantly have those thoughts that Jesus is winning, he's going to win, he'll defeat and he has the power to defeat all the sin in my life. And it starts there. And then we can go out, start with your individual, then in your family, 
we'll become a church that does that. We'll start affecting schools and businesses and various societal ways up. And maybe one day with the Lord's grace, we might have presidential candidates that are somewhat godly, but we'll see. Maybe. Um, And so let's look at some of these scripture verses in the last 10 minutes that we have. Um, Jude talks about he wanted to write to us about our common salvation. He wanted to, but he couldn't. He says in, in Jude verse three, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down for you. There's that contending, that fighting, that pressing out. Second Timothy 2.2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, right? That's how we do it. We pass these things down. We teach others. This is how the Lord, um, oh, I missed, uh, I missed one note that I wrote in here uh, that I skipped is a shameless plug for Wednesdays is when we're on Wednesdays, on Wednesday's word that begins at 7 p.m., we may have it live this Wednesday or not, we'll let you know, is we're going through the narrative starting in Genesis and we just got into Joshua. And so um, one of the things we're, we're talking about, we have even less time than we have on Sundays. It's only 30 minutes. And so we're just like throwing stuff at you. Hopefully you'll pick some of it up and study it further. But the whole narrative of the Pentateuch leads up to the Jordan River. Moses is dead passing that on succession to Joshua, who takes them through the Jordan, um, where God says he's laying the same things and he'll be with Joshua in the same way that he was with Moses. And it says, know for certain that your enemies will be defeated because the ark is with you. The rivers have stopped. The ark and the priests stay in the river and everybody else passes before the ark, before the presence of the Lord. That's how you know you're going to get victory the presence of the Lord. (laughs) And so, and he says, without fail. And so how do we do these things? How do we see Christ embodying these things? He had a teaching ministry, a casting out demons ministry, a healing ministry, right? Um, And so, but largely was, was teaching. That's, that was the, at the forefront of all um, of his, of his ministry is that teaching these things, bearing with them, having compassion on them. He saw them like sheep without a shepherd and he taught them or he sent out others to teach. This is how Jesus began to take victory and did take victory, not just in his um, uh, substitutionary death, but in, in bringing us real truth from God, from the Father. And so that's how we do it others. We teach others also through faithful men. Uh, we already quoted Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the whole world and those who dwell therein. Acts three nineteen through 21. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So heaven will retain, heaven has received and will retain Jesus until the restoring of all things. 
which by that time, God had already spoken by the mouth of his prophets throughout all of the Old Covenant scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 27. Then comes the end, and he will hand over the kingdom to our God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put into subjection, it is clear uh, that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection under his feet. So we continue to press out the kingdom of God with Jesus. His plan is to put all things in subjection under him. All things. Everything. First Timothy 4, 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good. Everything. What about special days? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Even special days. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Have this mindset amongst us, that not just that Christ is victorious, and that we're here to do his, his work and extend his kingdom on the earth, but one of the ways we do that is by recognizing his creation, all of it is good. We utilize that. We utilize the, the Sabbaths, the feasts, the foods, the various things, everything to honor God and to be giving thanks to him. Uh, we did Romans 16.20. We'll read it again as our benediction. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.54-57. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Like we've already said, nobody else has the right to celebrate, to honor, to remember the dead rightly or truly apart from those who are thinking the way God thinks and biblically and honoring the king of death, the one who's, who has overcome death. Right? So we shouldn't be the ones who sit back and watch the world take over. We need to be individuals, a family, a church who is progressively just like those in, um, uh, in Israel were progressively driving out the enemies. One thing we, I'm trying to get over and over and over in on Wednesdays is that we're in the promised land. We're not waiting to get to the promised land. We're in the promised land and we're driving out the enemies. So when we think about if we had the thought that we're not in the promised land and we'll eventually get there, we're essentially saying we're still in the desert, we're being tried by God, and we just have to hold on until God brings us there. But he's already won that victory. We've already passed into the promised land. God's already brought forth that through Jesus' uh, victory over, over all his enemies, over sin, over death, and the world. And he's set us free and we're to be mobilized, right? We're not to be immobilized by fear of death, even. Um, and so lastly, I want to read Psalm 2, 1 through 4. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth sets the kings of the earth. 
set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Or the NASB, that's the ESV, the NASB says, scoffs at them. The Lord sits in heaven, all the rulers of the world are against the Lord, against his anointed, and the Lord sits in heaven and laughs. <laughs> it's a light thing for the Lord to, he raises the prince and kings and the presidents of the earth and shuts them down. And he, when he wants them to be in power, they'll be in power. And when he doesn't, he'll take them away. And nothing's too hard for him. Even those who uh, he sets up, who plot against him, still nothing for him. He is the all-powerful one. He is the one that's sovereign. He is the one who we worship. And so let us have, you know, we usually do this like a couple of weeks before Halloween. And if you see on the outline, the last thing is costume and party guidelines. We're not going to talk about that. But uh, we usually talk about this a couple of weeks before Halloween, uh, at least in RCF. And that's one of the reasons why we're, we feel free to get together and, and dress in costumes that are appropriate. Uh, there are guidelines we follow uh, that we make sure we're honoring the Lord, but we're, we're in a way mocking and saying, you know, Jesus is in control. He's already won the victory. There's no cult, philosophy, pagan, anybody who's going to win in the end, except for the Lord through his church. And we can laugh right along with him. And so we do. And so very lastly, in two minutes, uh, Reformation Day is also on October 31st. Martin Luther in 1517 nailed his 95 theses, his, his contentions against the, the Roman church. Uh, so the Wittenberg church or Wittenberg church um, on that date. And so I think that was a very pur purposeful day. It probably didn't happen that you might see in the movies where he marches up really deliberately and takes a giant hammer because uh, this was kind of like a posting board. And I think he did choose that day deliberately. Um, uh, but it probably wouldn't have been as great of a scene as we think in the movies. But it definitely did get a lot of attention. And so um, through that, and we always read through the 95, we read some of the 95 theses. I would encourage everyone to research that and read it. Um, if you haven't, especially the first about 10 or so on repentance um, and how um, Luther was trying to make reforms and, and debate these things in the church to, to glorify God. So let's pray. And then I think we go straight to the communion meditation. Uh, we Lord, Lord, we honor you, Father. We know that you have hold the victory. We pray that you would uh, give us faith to hold fast to your promises that you reign victorious. No one's going to defeat you. Your kingdom is going to expand, and it is our honor um, to partake with you in that. Give us wisdom. Fill us with your spirit. Utilize your church. Utilize us as a body of Christ to, to do your will here in Dayton. Pray this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.